Welcome to the Brain People Podcast, a show where four mental health experts team up to bring you practical tools for overcoming mental health challenges. The Brain People don't replace your doctor or therapist, but we will give you some extra tools to help you on your journey. So join us as we fight mental illness, one episode at a time. Welcome to another episode on the Brain People Podcast. My name is Dr. Katie Olson. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and joining me is... Dr. Daniel Vinas, and I'm a psychiatrist. All right, well, welcome. We have an episode today on compassion fatigue, one that we probably both need to hear, um, but also many of you, whether professionally or personally, it's a topic that um, is very needed and something that I think a lot of us suffer from, but maybe don't know or don't know how to prevent. And those are some things that we're gonna be talking about today. Yeah, I think it's super important. And even as I was thinking about this topic, it's you look through some of the elements of it and it's like, wow, yeah, I need to consistently be aware of these things so that it doesn't creep in. Because it's something that subtly can creep into our lives and start causing problems, both personally and professionally. Yeah. So why don't we just start off with talking about what is compassion fatigue? It kind of Someone might say, oh, I, I know what that is, right? But it's always good to kind of talk about what generally is compassion fatigue. Yeah, and I think a lot of it can be understood inherently from the name. However, mm -hmm. uh, to define it a little bit further, uh, it is the physical, mental, and emotional distress and exhaustion for those who care for traumatized people over an extended period of time. Now, you know, in that definition, it talks about caring for traumatized people. And while that is kind of the classic definition, I would say that there are also people that can essentially develop compassion fatigue, even if it's not always direct contact uh, mm -hmm. with traumatized people. Uh, you know, maybe you're caring for a special needs child all the time, mm -hmm. or perhaps um, you are involved in another caregiving profession where there's there's distress present mm -hmm. with the people that you're uh, caring for or you're just doing it like all the time and it just starts to become very exhausting for you. Yeah, and I think a lot of the discussion of compassion fatigue is in the medical field, right? Because there's a high volume of those individuals that are traumatized or sick. Um, but we do know that this can also happen in the everyday and um, situations that you mentioned as well. Absolutely, and I, you know, I think about, for example, um, some of my patients uh, and families that have um, a, a relative that they're living with who has dementia. Mm -hmm. That can be very difficult. In fact, there's a book written that called "The 36 Hour Day." That's mm -hmm. uh, the title kind of says everything, right? Where mm -hmm. you're caregiving for somebody in your family that is unable to care for themselves, and that can really lead to a lot of fatigue and compassion fatigue, actually, as well, because there's just so much uh, that's draining there. Mm -hmm. So, what are some signs to look for, right? Because Someone might say, okay, I care for somebody or uh, I work in a certain profession or maybe I care for people that I'm not sure really if I'm suffering or uh, in the future might suffer from this. So what might be some signs that they can be aware of? Yeah, you know, one of the things I look at in myself uh, is 
am I getting easily annoyed or irritable, like mm-hmm. more so than usual, especially if people are coming to me with uh, questions for help. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if someone's asking for something else and I'm like, oh, I already feel like I've given so much and I'm just like at the end of my rope and I have nothing mm-hmm. more to give. And of course th- that's normal for us once in a while, but if that starts to become like the consistent Mm -hmm. every day where you're just like, oh man, I have to go back to work or I have to go back in this situation and I'm just going to be drained more Mm -hmm. that it can be a a real sign. Mm -hmm. Um, so that irritability element, another element, um, is just a general uh, lack of empathy and, Mm -hmm. and callousness, uh, that you start to experience. And so, whereas before, maybe when someone has shared something, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, someone, you know, or you don't know, and, and you would have been moved by that. You would have been like, wow, you know, that that's really sad. Like that mm-hmm. touches my heart and I feel for you. And, and kind of the sense of like wanting to help mm-hmm. instead, almost the sense of like, well, okay, that's too bad for you, but I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, my, 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 my care, <laughs> my care bucket is empty. I have yeah. no more of that to give. So again, that, and I've, and I've seen that in myself where there's been times where I'd be like, a patient is sharing something with me. And I'm like, I feel like I should be like caring more mm. about what they're saying right now. And then I have to check myself and be like, Hey, you know, what's going on with yourself? Are mm-hmm. you maybe getting into that mode of where you need to be refilled? Right. Mm-hmm. And then some people will f- add on to that guilt, right. Of like, why am I not feeling that way? Yes. Why am I disconnecting? And, um, I think it's very common and I think it's what people don't realize. And this can kind of diminish the guilt is it's a defense mechanism. It's a coping you know, strategy of like dissociation, right? If I disconnect because I'm getting overwhelmed with empathizing so much, then I can maybe conserve some of that energy. Um, but it's a temporary solution or not even solution, a temporary strategy for something that needs a deeper, um, more lasting solution. No, and I, I really appreciate you saying that because it helps us realize like instead of just being in denial, and being mm-hmm. like, hey, I know I'm, I'm, I'm empathetic and I have no problem with that. And I want to care for people and I'm just going to keep caring for people. And, and it, because we feel guilty because we're not experiencing mm-hmm. that degree of compassion and empathy mm-hmm. that maybe we used to, uh, we actually acknowledge like, yeah, right now I'm not experiencing that. So let me check and see mm-hmm. what needs to be done to address that instead of like kind of getting into this mode of unhealthy guilt where like, well, I should mm-hmm. feel compassion. Well, you know what? Maybe you need to get that compassion bucket refilled, right? So you have more to give. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So irritability, kind of this apathy, uh, lack of empathy. Yeah. And then I think just a general exhaustion can Mm -hmm. often occur um, emotionally, uh, spiritually, uh, physically. Mm -hmm. And so this sense of just like being drained and, Mm -hmm. and oftentimes with compassion fatigue, we find it both in the workplace and also at home. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times when it's more specific to burnout, people will actually uh, feel you know, like workplace burnout, for example, they, they'll feel more drained at work, but when they go home and they're able mm-hmm. to do things to recharge, they actually feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. That's not always the case with compassion fatigue. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just an ongoing, like kind of that 
sense of being drained almost all the time everywhere mm. you go. Mm-hmm. And then one other uh, thing that is common is uh, insomnia can often, mm-hmm. um, and that can be, insomnia is a very common symptom of a lot of things, but oftentimes it goes hand in hand with kind of this chronic stress and where, mm-hmm. you know, it's like your mind is just not able to to rest. It's like that cortisol level is consistently elevated mm-hmm. and you just can't shut off your brain. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say generally, like if you were to look up There are other signs as well, and they can mimic a lot of depression, anxiety, burnout. And so a good way to distinguish that, I would say, is looking at the origin, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, And so you start seeing a lot of like, oh, it's really I'm struggling in my relationships because if I'm struggling with the compassion fatigue, it's not only to my patients, it's not only to the person I'm taking care of, it's. That, as you mentioned, that bucket that's empty mm. for any relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting along that those lines, what I've both read and then, you know, also been careful to take notice if this happens in my own life is it it, it almost becomes easier. It does become easier to view or treat people almost like what well, we what we call objectifying them almost more like Mm. objects where we're like kind of like using them for our purpose Mm. and how can I kind of benefit for them or how can I just like get done with this patient and and move on rather Mm. than really seeing like their value as as a person Mm. and you know the beauty of who God created them to be and and all of these things the wonder of relationships again it's almost like yeah how can they serve me or okay yeah it, more of a transactional sort mm-hmm. of experience in relationships rather than the joy of just being with somebody mm-hmm. yeah so why so this is very common right and so it's one of the reasons why we're doing this and talking about this why do you think it's so common well i think part of the element here is that and it's not all bad but you know in our judeo christian mindset we've been um taught like you have to serve like you have to put others first you have to um have this element of yeah having empathy compassion and service all the time and if you're not then you're being really selfish Mm -hmm. yeah so it's very black and white yeah and there's this this very much for a lot of us this this guilt that can start creeping in if i'm thinking about how um, to take care of myself, mm-hmm. then I'm being selfish and I really need to start thinking differently. Yeah. I would add to that. Um, maybe some people don't, they don't come from that perspective, but that might be, um, imposed by their work. Right. So mm-hmm. I am a nurse, right. That is my job and I need to, and I have to. So it's a lot of this external pressure, whether from a religious point of view or perspective or from a work perspective. Um, I know I see a lot of pastors as clients and they often have that, okay, it's part of my job. Um, And it can be really challenging if you have this more black and white thinking of, I have to, and if I take care of myself or um, too much focus on myself, then it's selfish. Absolutely. And so trying to figure out where that balance is can be uh, very challenging. And I think a lot of times we've been 
programmed, if you will, or trained that the balance has to be way over here, where perhaps God actually wants the balance more in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I could even imagine that some people are listening to what you just said a moment ago of you know, from a Judeo-Christian perspective, and they're like, wait, what? what is he saying? Do we not have to you know, <laughs> right. take care of other people? Because there's just this, this knee-jerk reaction that we have of, and, and from many different, even cultural um, perspectives of like, let's say you come from a, uh, I come from a Latina perspective, like it's ingrained in a lot of different cultures and subcultures. And so we have this reaction because it's a very strong should, right? And so finding that balance, as you said, is very challenging. Yes. And so, you know, part of, <laughs> I, 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 I had that, some of those same feelings come up, like, you know, what am I saying here? <laughs> but at the same time, we have to understand that there is this perfect balance that God wants us mm -hmm. to have. And there is truly a ditch on both sides of the road. Yeah. You know, there's, of course, there is self-centeredness. There's that sense of like, I'm doing a living life for me. But mm -hmm. then there's also the other ditch where I'm just only focusing on others and doing for others to the point where we get completely drained and wiped out and exhausted ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that really does remind me of my own journey, even early in my career um, of psychiatry that helped me to start to kind of understand that when you know, I was going through my, my, my training in psychiatry residency, I saw, you know, that there was, there were people that were kind of on both sides of mm -hmm. the spectrum. Yeah. And from the outside, you can't judge because some people might be serving others for a selfish re reason, That's right? True. And so it's more about the motive of the heart, right? And finding that balance to say, well, I'm also caring for myself for the sake of uh, caring for others. Absolutely, yeah. And 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 so it's kind of interesting, you know, when when I first started my residency training, I saw one group of practitioners, and and you're right, I can't judge their hearts, so I need to be very careful here. Mm -hmm. But this was my my perspective, right? So one group of practitioners um, was, seemed very empathic and caring and all of this, but they also, a lot of them seemed really drained and mm -hmm. really just tired. And like, uh, you know, I was genuinely worried about some of them mm -hmm. like, oh, are they gonna need, are they getting the support they need? You know, are yeah. they, do they need some mental health support? Uh, are they gonna end up, you know, in a bad, bad place if they don't make a change here. And I was like, okay, I don't want to go there. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I saw another group that they were seemed to be doing well in their lives, but some of those practitioners, and again, it's, I don't know if this is the case, but this is sometimes the way it came across. Like it, it seemed like they were a bit aloof. And so mm -hmm. they were kind of like in that self-protective mode yeah. where they were um, caring for individuals doing their job, but I didn't always sense that they were really connected and mm. truly caring from the heart. It was more like, yeah. okay, I'm doing what I need to do and now I move mm -hmm. on, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I don't wanna fall into either of those categories. And so I was like, how, how can that be possible? And I don't know if you've seen some of that in the mental health world oh, as well. <laughs> of course, I, I often have clients tell me, oh, you know, my previous therapist, and they would describe different things of like, oh, I once had a therapist that fell asleep on me, or <laughs> I once, and, you know, a lot of times it sounds like, you know, oh, this person's probably been in the field for a long time. And, and then I notice it even for myself, where in a session, um, let's say I'm waiting for a client, I'm like, 
anticipating, oh no, they're going to be, you know, expressing suicidality again. And there's a urge inside of me of wanting to disconnect. Um, and so it, it's very natural, right, to, uh, to be fatigued in a job that's requiring so much emotionally mm -hmm. um, out of you. And it wasn't until I was in private practice seeing clients, because for me and my other work environments, it was not as, you didn't have as much of an ongoing relationship with the client. It was more like at bedside, you'd see them for a little bit. So in this setting, it was a lot more difficult because I was caring for them, right? I was yeah. seeing them weekly or some I've seen for two years and I can genuinely say I love them. Mm -hmm. And so for them to like be doing things that are hurtful or for them to be um, struggling, it really pulls at your own heartstrings. And it so does. I can notice in my own self at times wanting to pull away or disconnect. And it's like, okay, you know, I noticed that and how do I, which we'll talk about right now soon about how do I, address that in a way that I can still be there for the client, um, but also be there for myself so I don't have to disconnect. Absolutely, yeah, and I think that's huge. And what, one thing that you touched on there is, is I think really important is a lot of times the compassion fatigue can can come up in that desire to kind of disconnect to protect ourselves, not just because we poured out a lot, but because we really do care for that person mm -hmm. and maybe they're struggling with something where we're just like, and we want to fix it, but we realize we can't and it just becomes mm -hmm. like, oh man, frustrating in a way. And, yeah. and so that can be challenging, but even there, I think that there are ways that um, to, to handle that. And, yeah. you know, when, when, when I was going through that experience in residency, I really was like, okay, well, who's the master physician and how did he handle this? And so I really started studying and looking at the life of Jesus because mm -hmm. of anyone, when you think about someone who had compassion, you know, actually mm -hmm. the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion mm -hmm. and that is what actually helped him to touch the untouchable, to heal, mm -hmm. you know, those that no one else even wanted to get near, to talk to with, with those uh, who were the outcasts of society, et cetera. It was compassion. And so even though he was the busiest doing good and doing all these things, he didn't burn out. He didn't mm -hmm. get compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. And so I, I asked myself, well, what was the key to his success? Mm -hmm. And one thing that I realized is that he prioritized one thing. And this is one thing that he uh, would never start his day without. And that was, he got refilled first. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that again, it's like, okay, well, so he was putting himself first. Well, not necessarily. Actually, mm -hmm. there's a quote from one of my favorite writers that, where it says that Christ for, it was for others that he thought and he prayed and he acted and he lived, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean, even if we're living for others, it doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the beautiful kind of almost dichotomy that we see in the life of Christ. But I believe he is our example. And this is what has really helped to sustain me. Actually, even yesterday, I was talking with um, one of one of our um, staff here. And she asked me, like, how do you do it? Like, cause she knows I have a lot on my plate. Like, how do you do it all? And, you know, this is the first thing that always comes up is like, okay, we have to have our priorities straight, right? Mm -hmm. We have to start 
And, and, and that was what Christ did. He really had his priorities straight. Mm -hmm. So you're already kind of alluding to yes. some of those things. <laughs> Let's start with, so we have three main things to, to keep in mind. The first one, what's the first kind of strategy or, or thing that we need to focus on to ensure to prevent, or maybe some of our listeners are already suffering from compassion fatigue. So kind of refocusing and resetting. Yeah. So, you know, before we really get into that prioritization element, which is actually the, the second on our list that we want to talk about. The first thing I, I, I mentioned is um, having some sense of control and autonomy mm -hmm. in our lives. And I think that's really key because if we feel like external factors in our life are controlling us, and that can be all sorts of different things. I mean, that could be uh, perhaps our job situation. Uh, it could be like stresses and pressures from familial relationships or responsibilities. It could be even world events. So if we feel like I'm out of control and I'm kind of at, at the, the whim or, you know, at the mercy of my job duties and mm -hmm. other people that can be extremely psychologically distressing mm -hmm. and actually, yeah. Yeah, I know you can comment on this, right? That, that idea of internal versus external locus of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from a distortions perspective, it's a should statement. And I always tell people should is external pressure versus an internal choice. It's amazing. And this is like a snippet for any person that struggles with should statements, um, both related to compassion fatigue and not related, is just choosing to change the language from should to I choose. Mm. So for example, if I'm sitting there and I'm starting to feel that, you know, lack of empathy towards a client, I can remind myself in that moment, Katie, you are choosing to be here, right? Versus feeling like oh, I should because I'm a therapist and I have to, right? It, it Even just saying the should and have to just automatically drains us. I'm like, oh, I have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a pastor, I have, I chose to be a pastor. I chose to be here. If it's a difficult, uh, church to be in for different reasons, I am choosing to be here, right? If you have a family member, you have a family member that has dementia, I have chosen to take care of them. So I love this element of like control and autonomy. Nobody's making you to do anything. Even God suggesting for us to, hey, you should love others, right? It's not a, you have to. He's saying, hey, it's good for you. And I hope that you choose that for yourself. Yeah. And I, and I love that idea, really turning that into that I choose to do that. It, it's very empowering because then we realize like, okay, you know what? I can also choose to not be here, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and if that's what it takes right now mm -hmm. uh, for me, me to make a change, mm -hmm. that's, that's okay. If I need to make a change for my well-being and for even maybe the person I'm trying to serve because yes, I'm true. realizing like, hey, I'm, I'm choosing to work this much, but there, if, if this isn't really serving me and serving the people that I'm trying to serve, mm -hmm. then I need to make a different choice. Yeah. And, and that can be a very, so even if there's, we all know, okay, yeah, there's job duties, descriptions, we got to mm -hmm. meet certain things, but does that mean that it is set in concrete? And this is the mentality that we often have, but we have to, ideally, I think that we can realize that life actually is often more flexible mm -hmm. um, than we sometimes think. Yep. 
and mm-hmm. there's more room for creativity, whether it's in schedules or jobs. And and you know what? Sometimes we do have to make a job change to mm-hmm. get more control mm-hmm. and autonomy. But there are often ways that we can creativity creatively work within even our current framework mm-hmm. to give us more of a sense of, of control and autonomy. Yeah. I've even known uh, nurses. I've seen compassion fatigue a lot with nurses who have realized this and they say, I don't want to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they felt the pressure from their family to go into a helping profession, right? Oh, their their family's Christian saying, oh, you need to go into helping profession, right? And then they do it and they realize, no, like this is not something I feel forced to do this. And then they they leave and they choose to do another profession. And that alone, right, can help solve compassion fatigue. So it doesn't mean that you need to change professions, but just the element of choice. So Absolutely. control and autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. And and another good example would be I've had some nurses or physicians or other people where they might still remain nurses or physicians, but they they go to a different job or they take on a different role mm-hmm. in, in that profession. Yeah. And that's the, again, thinking outside the box, sometimes we get so focused, like, well, this is where I have to be. I have no choice. Mm -hmm. I I have to, no, no, we always have a choice. Yeah. So, so so whether it's changing externally your circumstance or internally saying, I choose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the second thing is prioritizing. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is huge. This is probably, yeah, I'd say this is the most important one really, because again, looking at the life of Jesus, what did he prioritize? He actually prioritized his relationship with the father Mm -hmm. first and foremost. So day by day, he would go and spend time communing with the father. And I love that he didn't just do it in a dark room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He did it in where? Nature. Well, in nature, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he went out. He went outside. And to me, that's that's huge for me personally. Even if it's uh, in the wintertime and it's getting dark late and or getting light late and it's still dark when I get up, I get out and I spend time. Um, so, of course, I'll spend some time praying before I go out, reading something in the Bible. But then I go out and, and generally for me, it's going to be on a run. And I love going out in nature. I, I love communing with God while I'm outdoors because mm-hmm. it gets me so much closer to that awe that, you know, that place of like, wow, God, you are big and you are amazing. You've created all these Mm -hmm. things. Again, when it's dark outside, I'll look up at the stars and just see like Orion or the Big Dipper or Mm -hmm. all these stars, or maybe even it's stormy outside, you know, and uh, there's rain. Um, Or when it's lighter outside and I'm starting to see the flowers and, you know, the way that God cares for all these things, it just reminds me of his tremendous love. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's a very recalibrating experience that I go through every day. And it's almost like, I don't feel me unless I spend that time Mm -hmm. reconnecting, recalibrating, kind of remembering and being reminded by God and recommitting for what is my purpose today, Mm -hmm. you know? And so this is, I think what we see in the life of Jesus is that the reason he was able to pour himself out every day, like, and not hold anything back is because he knew where to go. He knew where the plate, like that, that well was to quench his thirst again, you know, Mm -hmm. where he could get more food to be feed his soul again. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I've realized is, you know, if I'm starting to have that sense of burnout or compassion fatigue is that I need to spend some extra time. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that because as you prioritize the, uh, that relationship with God first and foremost, right? Um, you know, they say you can't pour from an empty cup. And so what you're doing is you're saying, I'm choosing to fill my cup fully so that I can go forth, right? Because if you don't have that, it's impossible to go forth. And and even to to live out your other values that you do also uphold. Absolutely, yeah. And it really, I mean, when we think about this, um, I love, instead of self-care, because again, in my mind, it's like, that makes it seem like the reason I'm taking that time is for self for just for me. But in reality, I love the term that my grandpa uses, which is temple care, you mm -hmm. know? And so that time that I spend with God in the morning, that time that I spend, um, connecting out in nature and exercising and, you know, drinking plenty of water. That's also part of my morning, morning ritual. And then eating a healthy breakfast. This is all part of temple care. And the reason mm -hmm. I like that phrase is that it reminds me like, well, the purpose of all of this is actually so that I can be a blessing to others. Mm -hmm. It's not just so that, oh, I feel great now and I can just live in isolation. No, it's so that I can get refilled so that I can be a greater mm -hmm. blessing. Yeah. So we're kind of talking about, you know, God, but then also self, mm -hmm. right? Um, but self, not just self, right? right? And I always uh, like to make a clarification with people because then they focus too much, too much on others. Like God values you as much as he values the person that you're serving. Yes. And so it is partially just for you. Yes. Right? And so that's the balance. It's like, it's not just for you, but it's also not just for others. That's it's right. both. So that's true. you're receiving not just to give to people, because if that's only your mentality to be in God's presence to serve, because sometimes I'll be reading my devotional and I'm like, oh, that's really good for a client. And <laughs> it has a different effect than if I'm saying, God, just you and me right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not even thinking of serving others. I'm just here to receive. Mm -hmm. And then I can go forth to serve others. Yeah, no, I, I definitely couldn't agree more. And it's important to really realize that God also, like you said, really just loves us and wants to spend that time and that, that that's special. And it reminds me of, you know, how the disciples were with, with Jesus on the road to Emmaus and how their hearts burned within them. And that's mm -hmm. part of what God wants to give us, uh, you know, is that sense of like just his presence and his love. And it really does bring up that, 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 that connection that, you know, only God can bring where we feel that burning in our hearts, that, mm -hmm. that his, his fiery love. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, one of the things that that does then that recalibration piece is that it helps us prioritize everything else. Mm -hmm. It kind of gives us our marching orders and instructions for the rest of the day. We might not know from that moment, like everything that we're going to be doing, but it gives us that sense of like, okay, now I can kind of put things in order mm -hmm. in, in my life and God promises wisdom. And, mm -hmm. you know, for me, of course, I really try to say, yes, God first, and then, you know, spouse, children, work and other activities. Mm -hmm. And so really trying to 
keep those priorities aligned. And, and during my devotional time and my prayer time, I try to reflect on that too and be like, okay, how am I doing in those areas mm -hmm. and what needs to be changed a little here? Yeah. I always tell my clients, um, this was used in um, a speech. I think the CEO of Google or something used this, but um, I like the analogy of like, you have balls that are rubber balls and you have that some that are glass. And oftentimes we're dropping the ones that are actually glass, like mm -hmm. our health and family. And then with work, right, we're holding tight onto that one. And that one's rubber. Like you can drop that once in a while and it'll drop, it'll bounce, you're fine. But just recognizing what are my values and am I living a value congruent life? Because when I'm not, that's what's going to lead to that compassion fatigue. Absolutely. Yeah. So probably wondering what is the third so we got the first one was the control of the autonomy the second one was prioritizing things and the third one is actually fulfillment and purpose and so it's so important that we have a sense of speaking of what you just talked about that that values element you mm -hmm. know that we're actually able to live our lives in a way that is congruent with um what we sense is our purpose and what our values mm -hmm. are yeah that's the anchor Mm -hmm. of why we're doing what we're doing. So there's a lot of things of um, that they talk about. If you have the why, right, then you can do anything. So the why would be your purpose. And I think that also links back to the control and autonomy instead of uh, something that I'm just doing for the sake of doing a task. If it's just a menial task, then of course that's going to you know, result in numbness or apathy or whatever it may be. But if it's like, no, like I'm choosing to be here for this person person right now because God has called me to love them, to help them, to support them, to uplift them. And then it becomes, it, it switches from ugh to wow, like I have this privilege yes. of helping this individual. And, and I love that because one thing that, because you mentioned menial tasks, there's a lot of menial tasks that I do, even in my job as a psychiatrist, charting is one of those things that I just yes. do not like. Agreed. But because, yeah, I think any any <laughs> mental health or, or health professional will agree with that. But because I know that that's um, part of a greater purpose mm -hmm. and, and it's a necessary part, you know, even if we're doing something that's generally fulfilling and giving a, and really fulfilling our purpose, et cetera, there's going to be parts of our job that we mm -hmm. don't, don't really like. But because I remember the bigger picture, yeah. I really don't mind it so much. It's like, yeah, it's boring and boring. It's kind of annoying. But mm -hmm. you know what? It's supporting that greater purpose. And mm -hmm. so it doesn't that then it's like, OK, it goes back to that. I'm choosing to do this to support that greater vision. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I often work with mothers and helping them see the bigger picture of chores around the house. It can seem so menial and so stressful, right? Doing day in, day out. And um, it's like the biblical principle that says like, work us to the Lord. Like, if, oh, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing this for a bigger thing of being faithful in the small things. And then you see that even the small things have a lot of importance. And I think what we're highlighting is always refocusing back on that sense of meaning and purpose, because it's so easy to be charting and feed into those thoughts of, ugh and why, and oh, and insurance after this billing and whatever. But it's like, no, I'm doing this for my client. And this is part of doing good care yeah. is putting it, you know, together in a note. And, you know, it's a stamp of, uh, it's not the everything that I do, 
and you know, it's kind of using some reframe strategies to stay focused on what really matters. Exactly. And, and so then that can help us get through some of those things that might be a bit menial. Now, on the other hand, there are times where it's like we have to stop and say, okay, is what I'm doing right now in the way that I'm living really fulfilling my mm -hmm. purpose? And mm -hmm. so if it's not, then sometimes a bigger change is warranted. But if we are in, in general, we're like, yeah, you know, I can see how what I'm doing right now, whether it's caregiving for a family member or in the work setting or whatever, we're doing that caregiving. We're like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Then great. You know, a lot of it is reframing and being mm -hmm. creative and all that. But we, we do have to stop and assess like, in the context, and and again, this goes back to our spending our time with God and and asking Him, like God, show me where I am right now. Is that actually fulfilling mm -hmm. that purpose that You have made me for? Yeah, and I think we continue to highlight um, either like practically making making uh, changes externally because it's not just about accepting. Okay, you know, I need to continue in this maybe externally of your job or externally of, you know, maybe you're doing charting in a way that is longer than it has to be, right? Or um, making changes externally of um, uh, setting up your schedule in a way that you're having more intentional time to recharge, right? Walking with a colleague or, um, you know, having asking for a longer lunch break, and I'll also say this, different people have different thresholds and different capabilities. And so setting boundaries and communicating what you need to be able to um, recharge, right? And then sometimes it's internally. Absolutely. Uh, refocusing and resetting on the, the purpose um, and the choice. Yeah, yeah. And one other thing I wanted to mention along those lines is because sometimes we get very individualistic in our thinking when it comes to purpose and all of that. But again, being creative and even thinking about um, how can we have some more enjoyment like at work and connect maybe with our colleagues and do those sorts of things. That's part of what we've tried to do here even mm -hmm. at Beautiful Minds is like every Tuesday morning we have a um, devotional with all the staff. And so that's a, a very meaningful time for us just to get together in a different context, talk about some spiritual things and connect just as people, you know, mm -hmm. that are seeking seekers really and trying to, to grow. And then last year we had this walk around the world. So where the whole organization was uh, tracking their miles and our goal was to walk around the world and wouldn't you know it, we made it by half a mile. So <laughs> we yes. were very grateful for that. So, so anyway, there's, you know, again, there's things that we can find um, sometimes to be creative, to bring into our lives, whether it's at work or home to make it more enjoyable too. Mm -hmm. so. Yes. They say share, there's a Bible verse that says share each other's burdens and that's in this right. fulfill the law of Christ. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's about all I had to share on yes. compassion fatigue, but thank you for uh, letting me share. Yes. And we just want to encourage our listeners and those that are watching to implement these things. Right. And not just for yourself, but to share with others, share this podcast episode with others, because it's definitely something that's happening more and more. And it's important to take care of yourself and to take care of others. And if you only take one thing away from today's show, remember this. If mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. My name is Dr. Katie Elson. And I'm Dr. Daniel Bynes. And you've been listening to The, the Brain, Brain People, People Podcast. Podcast.
Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, find us on social media, or support us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com. 